Good afternoon. Welcome to Revelation Bible Study. We are in chapter 21 tonight. But as always, before we go to the Bible study, let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house to worship, to praise, and to honor your name. Lord, to, to read and hear and study your word together, God. We ask, Lord, that you'll anoint my lips as I endeavor to bring forth your message that you'll anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Revelation chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. This is after the judgment that God will renovate the heaven and the earth. Not a whole lot stated about the description of the new heaven or the new earth. But according to this verse, there will be no sea or large body of water on the new earth. Does this mean that there will not be any water? I don't think so. I think it just means there will be no large body of water. Now, some speculate that this means that there will be no restless people. Since in other places in Revelation, the term sea means people or nations. I think it means exactly what we think it does, that there will be no more sea, no large body. I had a thought coming here this evening. Maybe it's saying that there will be no more sea as we know it. The ocean will no longer be salty. Because why does the ocean get salty? Pollution. The salt is leaching out of the ground and it's going into the water, body of water called the ocean and it's becoming salty. And that's the reason why the Dead Sea is so salty is because it's the lowest point on the earth and all the pollution, all the salt, all the minerals runs to it. So that's the reason why it's the Dead Sea. So perhaps it just means that instead of no more sea, maybe it's saying that there won't be sea like we know it. That's a thought, but I truly believe we should take the Bible as literal as possible and it says there's no more sea. I believe that there will be no more sea. Brother, is it possible that in that context we will there will be no water? Now, I know I've heard this my own my whole life. No water, period, for we will need nothing. He is the fountain of life, and he is the water of life. And it's possible that there will be no more, but he is the body of life and the water of life for humans, but is he the water of life for trees and plants? Will they need water? I think they will. I mean, the Garden of Eden, they needed water because the mist come up from the ground and watered everything every night. It hadn't rained. Of course, we had a nice little rain here earlier. Fortunately, it wasn't the hailstones of chapter 16, but we did even have hailstones here earlier. But I think that there will be water, and maybe there won't be bodies of water. Maybe the earth will just, the condensation, the dew, whatever you want to call it, will come up out of the ground and water everything. It's possible. Just as it was in the Garden of Eden. I've always looked at this new heaven and this new earth, the new earth especially, the way it was in the Garden of Eden. I think all of the earth will be like the Garden of Eden. That's the way he first designed 
us to live in. I think that's what it's going back to. I honestly believe that in the Garden of Eden, we was able to talk to the animals. I think we'll be able to talk to the animals again. I don't know. It's your. It's up to you. Um, I think that it says no more sea, and I think it means no more sea. I think there will be water of some description, just so that it can water the grass and the trees, but maybe humans won't need water, because as I said, he is the water of life. Yes? But aren't there going to be humans here that... There will be. So wouldn't they need water? But if he's the water of life, they would, and he's going to set up his throne here on earth, he told the woman at the well, if you knew who you was talking to, use them own words, you would not, you wouldn't draw from this. You would ask me for the water of life and you'd never thirst again. Now that was on a spiritual context, but very possible that here in New Earth, it's a physical context as well. I want to be interested. First two, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Jerusalem, the holy city, is also replaced by the Jerusalem from heaven coming down unto earth. The city is described in the following verses, but this is where, where God's throne will be for the rest of eternity. It's adorned as a bride. You know, you, you ladies, especially us guys, we get in a tux and maybe we might wear blue jeans and a clean t-shirt, who knows, but you ladies, you like to dress up at your wedding. So New Jerusalem is going to be dressed up. It's going to be magnificent. Everything's going to be perfect. And we're going to describe, or they're going to describe New Jerusalem to us here in just a few moments. And Oh, it's also going to be very large. Yes. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. A voice is heard declaring that God will now live among the people between man, or live among man, and man will have access to God in person. Now back in the Old Testament, Moses' day, we read that, you know, man couldn't look upon God, or we would die. So he hid Moses' face in the cleft of the rock and then put his hand up to block Moses' eyes and he passed by and as he passed by he took his hand down and Moses just saw the backside, the back, the, the whole back of God and his face glowed and his face shined and it scared the Israelites and from then on he had to wear a, a veil when he was with Israel. But we will be able to look on God in the new Jerusalem and new here. And we, maybe our faces will shine, but it won't scare us any longer. We will actually be able to see God. We will actually have access to God the Father in physical as well as in spiritual. And if that don't get you excited, as a friend of mine would say, you're burning wet wood. Amen. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. And a shout comes up from the crowd, for the former things are passed away. There will be no death, there will be no sorrow, the pain will be gone, 
and we will finally know peace. All our frailties have passed away. We'll be perfect. Now, what does that look like? I have no clue. I don't. Nobody does. And there's no way we can. It doesn't matter what we look like. I've heard people say, oh, we'll look just like Jesus did. He was 33, so we'll be 33 years of age. Okay. Maybe that's true. Nothing in the scripture says that anywhere. But maybe that's true. Maybe we will be 33. I know that my brother and I's dad, at the age of 40 to about 50, he was at his peak. That was when dad was the strongest. Yeah, amen. Maybe my dad in, in heaven, he, he's 45. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But it doesn't matter. Bless little old mama. But we will be having no more death, no more sorrow, and pain will be gone. There will be no tears because there's nothing to cry about other than happy tears. And we won't even have those because we'll have a better way of expressing our happiness when we get there because we'll be worshiping Christ. We'll be worshiping God. So no more tears, no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There will be no more pain. For all the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. He didn't say he would renew it. He didn't say he would restore it. He didn't even say he would rebuild it. He said, I'm going to make it new. New house. New car. Everything new. Yeah, that's what the world wants. Oh, they want the newest, the greatest, the latest gadgets. But that's not why we should want what God's got for us. Because when he makes things new, he makes things new. And they are not, as man does, they don't need to be corrected ever he is. We will be, or when we got saved, we were reborn. We were like new. Yes. But these things will be new. We will be new. We will be perfect. And we've already discussed that. What does that mean? Who knows? And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I think I make all things new. Not restored, not renovated, but new. New is better in this case. New is better. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. God will be to all on earth everything that we will ever need. There's, I believe, the answer, Lynn, to your question about water. He will be our water. He will be our food. Now, I think we'll get to eat. Because he told Adam to dress and keep the garden of Eden. Told him not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but for all of the other trees, they will be able to eat of it. So I think we'll be able to eat. I just don't think that we will, well, we won't eat in excess. We won't gain weight. I like to think that there will be a huge pond of Mountain Dew and there will be a big mountain of banana pudding that just renews every night. 
that's a joke. That's not the way it's going to be, I know. But everything there will be for our benefit. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. When you inherit something, you didn't work for it. The person that's given it to you worked for it. If you inherit property when your parents pass away or your grandparents or your uncle or a friend or whatever, you didn't have to do anything for that land. You didn't have to do anything for that inheritance money. They did it for you and they're giving it to you for free. For those that have overcome the temptations, those that did not get deceived by Satan, we will get to live with God forever and he will always be there and always will be our God. But this tells me that, yes, Lynn, there will be humans on the earth at the end of tribulation. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. If we are raptured out, if every Christian is raptured out, there's nothing to overcome. Nothing. So there will be a body of people here that will make it through the tribulation. Remember, he hides them in the, in the wilderness so that they don't get destroyed by Satan and the beast and the Antichrist. But the fearful and unbelieving, verse 8, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Basically, all the individuals that are not Christians, true Christians, not so-called Christians, you can call yourself Christian all day long, but if you're not living it, you're not a Christian. Those individuals who are not Christians or those that are not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. The fearful, the liars, the unbelievers, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the saucers, the idolaters, they will all be cast into the lake of fire for the rest of eternity. Not hell, but the lake of fire. Hell has already been cast into the lake of fire. And that is a very real place as we discussed the last week. The lake of fire will be burning at a temperature of at least 385 degrees Fahrenheit. At least that hot. It'll be much hotter, but it will at least be that hot. And that's what you cook your roast on. Actually, that's a that's a little high for cooking a roast, but that's you know, that's the temperature you'd set your oven to. Set your oven to three fifty and climb inside, see how you like it. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show ye, I will show thee the bride of the Lamb's wife. One of the angels, we just read about just a few chapters ago, one of the angels that had the vial of the seven plagues, or had the vial of plagues, came to John and told him, said, You want to see the bride? Come with me, I'll show you the bride. Everybody when the bride walks into the room, the venue, the church, the field, the barn, the house, the stairwell, whatever, all eyes turns to that bride. All eyes. And they all recognize her. And they all recognize her. Because she's dressed a certain way, she looks a certain way. And she comes in at the right point in the ceremony. 
All eyes, including the groom, is looking at the bride. The groom is being ignored at this point. I'll be honest with you. That's what a groom does. He stands up there. He's ignored. I'm not saying Christ will be ignored, but we will take our eyes, <coughs> excuse me, we'll take our eyes off of Christ to see New Jerusalem coming down. And we'll understand that if it wasn't for him, New Jerusalem wouldn't come down. So the angel said in verse 10, he carried me away to the spirit to a great and high mountain, showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. Yep, I gave you the spoiler. I already told you that the bride was New Jerusalem. In the spirit, John was delivered to a mountain. And this is where he saw New Jerusalem coming from heaven to see it where Jerusalem is now. But where Jerusalem is now will be the center of New Jerusalem. And it is a very specific place. Yeah. And it's very specifically built. Built. And when New, when Jerusalem as we know it, old Jerusalem, the old city, David's city, we call it the city of David, when it was constructed, when it was built, it mirrored the new Jerusalem that's in heaven. Solomon's temple mirrored the temple that God is bringing. Everything here on this earth is a mirror, is a replica, is a smaller version of how God has it designed in heaven if we listen to him. It's when we don't listen to him that we get in trouble and our construction goes awry and we have places like Charlotte where nobody can drive or Atlanta, Georgia, where no one can drive. God would not have designed Atlanta, Georgia the way we designed Atlanta, Georgia because traffic does not flow in Atlanta. Because there's confusion there. But New Jerusalem will be an expanded version of the city of David. Having the glory of God, verse 11, having the glory of God and her light was like a stone, most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Pure. The city was glowing with the Shekinah glory or his holy presence given off in light of God. And John described it as being a clear jasper stone. Jasper to us is an opaque or milky white. What we would say probably here, if we were writing this verse in today's vernacular, we would say that it was a diamond. We would probably use the phrase as clear as a diamond. The city was beautiful to look at, and it reminded John of the beauty of a gemstone. They rarely, they didn't mention diamonds in the Bible. It wasn't a gemstone that they represent or they, they recognized or they used a lot. Even in the old culture, they always talked about Jasper and Sardis and those stones. But we, and we won't get into the history of diamonds tonight, but we take diamonds as number one on the gemstone. And it's clear and it's pretty and it refracts the light and it bends the light and it sparkles. That's how we would see New Jerusalem coming down. 
We would say it was a diamond. Verse 12, had a great wall and had a wall great and high and had 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels. Names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Each wall of the city had 12 gates. Three to a side. Each of these gates were named for one of the 12 tribes. So you're going to go through a gate named after one of the tribes of Israel. Benjamin, Levi, Gad, Ishakar. You know the names. I didn't write them down, so I'm not going to even stumble through and try to figure them out. But there's three gates to each wall, total of 12 gates. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. Each name, again, for a tribe of Israel. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And in them, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, the NASB and the complete Jewish Bible translates this verse as 12 foundation stones. That seems to be a more accurate translation of this verse. The wall of the city is anchored to 12 foundation stones. If the gates are named after the 12 tribes of Israel, you can guess what the foundations are named after. And each of the stones are named after the 12 apostles. Not the original apostles. Judas Iscariot was not one of these. But the 12 apostles that were present shortly after Christ's ascension, Judas Iscariot would not be one of the names of the 12 stones, but his replacement. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, and Matthias. Matthias was the replacement for Judas Iscariot. If you don't believe me, go back and read Acts 1, 12, and 14, and then jump to uh, verse 26. Each of those stones will be named one of these. So Peter... On this stone, I will build my church. A lot of people use that reference. It's not exactly correct, but in this case, Peter will be used, or the name of Peter will be used to anchor the wall of Jerusalem. Some will argue that instead of Matthias, it will be Paul. If you want to say it's Paul, I don't care. Go for it. We don't know. In this case, if it's Paul or Matthias, we just know it's going to be the 12 apostles. Ephesians 2 and 20 says, And our bill on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So it does not tell us in the scriptures other than the name of the 12. It's going to be named after the 12 apostles. If you want to say that Paul is... One of the twelve apostles, and he was an apostle. You can believe that Paul was is going to be one of the foundation stones will be named Paul. I personally believe it is the replacement for Judas. That's Robert's opinion. Verse 15. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. The angel that was talking to John, held a measuring rod made of gold to measure the city, the walls, and the gates. Now, he had a gold measuring rod because it's consistent. It's not going to stretch. It's not going to contract. It's not going to be easily bent. But also because it's pretty. The city there 
The city lieth four square. And the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed. 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. It's a cube. It's as wide as it is high as it is tall as it is deep as it is a cube. It is a perfect cube. And it is 12,000 furlongs. The city of New Jerusalem is a cube. Some will say it's a pyramid. However, the width is the same as the length and the height. Don't see how that fits in a pyramid. I see it more of a, as a cube. But if you want to believe that New Jerusalem's a pyramid, go for it. I'm not going to argue that point. 12,000 furlongs is equal to 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles wide, deep, and tall. That is a very large city. Some will say in the biblical times, the furlong was a little shorter, and they calculate the size to be 1,400 miles. When you get to a city that's 1,400 or 1,500 miles, that 100 miles ain't going to matter. Believe what you will. It's as tall as that. 1,400 miles high, 1,500 miles high. Huge city. And he measured the wall thereof. And 140 and 4 cubits. 144. Where have we seen that number before? Oh, the 144,000 that he chose to stay here and sealed their heads. The Jerusalem uh, Jewish people. 144,000. Ah, oh, no. Nah, it's just a coincidence. Nothing with God is a coincidence. According to the measure of man, that is, of the angel. The angel looks to the wall surrounding to the city. The 144 cubits thick was 216 feet thick. 216 feet thick walls. That's a pretty good long, or pretty good thick wall. Don't think much would penetrate a 216 feet thick wall. It's 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles tall, one, and 216 feet thick walls. God does nothing small. Everything to him is big. But yet we confine him to our faults. We confine him to our Desires, we confine him to our wants, and we dream small. But that's our faith. That's our faith. Jabez prayed that his his walls or his camp, his territory, would be enlarged. We need to pray that prayer. It's not a selfish prayer. We need to pray that God enlarges our territory so that we can influence more people. Not for influencing people in our thoughts and process, but when we become Christ, like we should have his thoughts and his words. The building of the wall 
of it was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. The walls were made of a precious gem, jasper. Now, a 216 feet thick slab of jasper that is 1,500 miles tall and 1,500 miles long. That is a large gemstone. And you can't mine that here on this earth. It's got to come from heaven. I know an architect. He said this is the perfect mm -hmm. proportion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. He said it has no equal anywhere else. It is the absolute perfect proportion. And the city was made of gold. So pure that it was clear. clear. So using what we would say today, the walls of the city was made of a diamond and the city was gold. The city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. The walls of the city was gold and like clear glass had no flaws or imperfections in it anywhere. There was no dimples. There was no air bubbles. There was nothing. It shone from the Shekinah glory of God. It's going to be a sight to see. No wonder we don't need the sun. This thing's going to glow. You're going to be able to see it from everywhere. And the foundation of the wall and the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a caldosian, and the fourth an emerald. The foundation stones was adorned with precious stones. First, jasper or diamond, sapphire. An agate is actually the Chaldean or Chaldosian, and then an emerald. The fifth, the sardonyx. The sixth, the sardis. The seventh, crystallite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The, and the tenth, sarpurus. Okay, I'll get it in a minute. Sarapreus. The eleventh, a jacinth, and the twelfth, an amethyst. The fifth foundation stone is sardis, or an onyx. Sardius. Carnelian or a ruby, chrysolite or saperidote, beryl, topaz, and cryopurus is normally a green gem, jasmineth and an amethyst. Have you seen these stones before? Have you seen a record of these stones anywhere? Go back with me to Exodus 39 and verses 10 through 13 and we'll see something important here. And they sat in it four rows of stone. Now we're talking about the ephod that the high priest would wear. They set it in four stone, rows of stones. The first was a sardis, a topaz, and a carbuncle. This was the first row. Second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a ligure, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They were enclosed in ounces of gold in their enclosings. Might not be in the same order. But it's the same stones. Just a coincidence that the stones that Christ or God told Moses and Aaron to put in the ephod that they wore around their breast or their torso would have the same stones in it that the Foundation was adorned with of the new city. It's just a coincidence. 
Everything in the Old Testament points to the New Testament. And everything in the New Testament points back to the Old Testament. We are supposed to rightfully divide the word. But when we study the Bible, if we don't go back and grab the Old Testament, or if we're in the Old Testament, we don't go and look in the New Testament, we're missing half of the picture. We need to study the word together. I know people that are so adamant about, oh, well, I'm living in the New Testament. I don't have to worry about the Old Testament. I don't have to worry about the Old Testament either because I am living with Christ and he is my whole testament. But to study the Bible, you have to know both or you have to study both. It's not just one or the other. It's both. Verse 21, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold as it was transparent glass. Each of the 12 gates was made of a pearl, a single pearl large enough to make one gate. Now, I don't know if these are double gates or single gates. I have no clue. Most of the time in the old days, in the old biblical days, the gates were double. That meant there was a gate, an opening on the left and an opening on the right. And you could open both of them or you could open just one. So if you're looking at a double gate on the, and there's three gates per each side. See, if you're looking at a double gate, that means a pearl is large enough to make two gates. If you're looking at a single gate, then that pearl is big enough to make one of those openings, one of those gates. That's a large pearl. That's a big oyster. You're not going to find that here on earth. That's got to be from heaven. But why pearls? Now, my brother and I's mom would tell you that the pearly gates was named after her because God loved her a lot because she was named pearly. But why pearl? What is a pearl? A pearl is oyster spit wrapped around a piece of uh, sand or an irritant. But when you hold up a pearl in the light, it it transforms. It's iridescent. It is iridescent. It will change colors. It will it will glitter. It will sparkle from its own self. Now you got this diamond wall. Gold city, stones all over the foundation, and your gates are made of pearl. And one pearl. something produced that's pure. It's pure. But it's a single pearl. And the reason it's a single pearl, there's no seam. There's no matching it up. Now, I'm, I do pens. I do wooden pens, ink pens. And when I turn them, I try to match... The grains, if it's a double barrel pen, if there's a piece of wood at the top and a piece of the wood at the bottom, you try to turn it so you match the grains up so that when you put the pen together, it looks like the grains could continue to flow. The grains in this pearl do continue to flow because it's one single pearl. There's no seam. Oh, wait, where have we seen that before? Oh, yeah, that was the veil that was between the Holy of Holies. And when Christ died on the cross, the veil was ripped in twain. But it was made from a single 
solitary piece of fabric with no seam in it anywhere. It was very, very strong. Well, this pearl is very, very strong. Not that, hey, we need a gate to keep the bad guys out anymore, but we've got this gate, and it is absolutely gorgeous. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Now, I said earlier that the Solomon's temple would represent God's temple. When you think about way to the temple was built, that's going to be the access to God's throne. It's just going to be on larger dimensions. So no, there won't be an actual physical temple. There won't be a church building, but there will be the columns. There will be the porticos. There will be the access. There will be the entrances to get to God and his, and his throne. In this city, there is no temple because God and Jesus were there, so there's no need to go to a building to worship him, since we can now go to God and Jesus and worship them in person. Now, we'll pause it here for a second. So many people talk about, oh, well, we don't need to go to church. You're right. To get saved, you don't need to go to church. But... Doesn't it make it easier when you're sitting? If you go to a ball game, isn't it a lot more fun to sit on the side of the team that you're rooting for with everybody around you that's on the same team? Try to sit on the opposing team and yell out if you're playing football and yell out the opposing team's name. Yell out the Steelers while you're sitting in the Raiders' side. Or yell out the 49ers if you're sitting on the Steelers' side or whatever. Whoever's yeah. playing against or each other, it out. doesn't work so well. Now, a friend of mine and I, we go to a minor league baseball game. We usually choose one one particular game when my team is playing his team, and we sit beside each other, and we make jokes, and we laugh, and we cut up, and we carry on, but we're still friends at the end of the day. We don't get ugly toward each other. I think my wife goes to the game's with us just to watch us and not the game. But we do sit beside each other and we do yell and we do scream for our teams. He's yelling for his team, I'm yelling for my team. But that's in good, clean fun. But there's not, we usually sit on my team's side. And there's not much opposition to us. Yes, go ahead. Forgive me, and I know I butt in too much, and I know I... But doesn't it say, forsake yourself not? The assembly. But why do you assemble? What what does it mean to assemble? To show that you are part of something bigger than you. Well, you can go to a bar and assemble. You can go to a game and assemble. But you can't. And here's the reason. You're gathering. You're gathering. You're not there. You may be at a game for your team, but you're gathering with people. You're not assembling to make that team win. You're gathering hoping that team will win. When you assemble, you are set to do something. When you assemble the parts to a desk or to a car or to a building, you're setting about doing something. Let's say you're you're assembling the parts to a building. You know, all dads hate those words, some assembly required on Christmas Eve night. <laughs> oh, yeah. We all hate those words. Oh, yeah. 
So when we assemble it, though, we're getting the product that we actually bought. When we gather at a bar, we gather at a football game, or we gather at a family reunion, we don't assemble at a family reunion, we gather at a family reunion, we're there just to laugh and cut up and have fun. We're not there to make anything. We're not there to do anything other than to relax and have some fun with some family and friends. When you assemble, you're there to do something. So he's telling us to forsake not the assembly. He's telling us to forsake not going to church or going together to further the cause. We are here, iron sharpeneth iron. We are here together so that I'm with a like-minded believer and if I have a bad day, I can go and I can call these individuals or I can go up to them in church and I can say, look, man, I'm having a bad day. Pray for me. If you don't have a prayer partner, find you one. You need a prayer partner. You need a prayer buddy. I know that probably sounds funny, but you do need a prayer buddy. Somebody that you can call in the middle of the night going, man, I just had the stupidest nightmare I've ever had, and I am so concerned. I need your prayers. And that individual will stop what they're doing and pray for you right then and there. Find you a prayer buddy. It may not be in your church. My prayer buddy passed away a number of years ago, or just last year, actually, um, early in the year. He was my prayer buddy. I could call him no time, in any time, and I could say, man, I need your prayers. Matter of fact, he took off from work and drove uh, to Missouri with me from Charlotte, North Carolina, to pick up my son from boot camp because he didn't want me to drive all that way by myself. So he took vacation. He spent vacation time with me in a car driving from Charlotte through the corner of Tennessee across Kentucky, across Indiana, across Illinois, into Missouri to pick up my son just because he didn't want me to be by myself. You need somebody like that in your life. We would assemble. We would get together. We would have a good time. So you don't want to forsake the assembly. But when we've got God and we've got Jesus in the person, we can walk up and we say, Hey, God, can I climb up in your lap? I just need a hug. Every one of my sisters used to climb up in my dad's lap when they got home. It didn't matter how old they were. They would climb up in my sister's or my dad's lap. My brother and I, we didn't do that often. He would probably slug us. But that's okay. Yeah, he, he took poorly to that. He took a little, took a little offense at that, but he still loved us. But he allowed those girls to climb up in his lap and he'd wrap their, his arms around them and he, they knew that they were safe in his arms. Nothing was going to happen. We should be able to climb up into God's lap and we should let him wrap his arms around us and know that we are safe. When we get to this new Jerusalem, we will be able to go into the presence of God. We'll be safe no matter where because remember, hell, the grave, Satan, Antichrist, the false prophet, they're all cast into the lake of fire by this time. We will be able to go into the temple, the, the throne room of God in person. I'm looking so forward to that. And you know, there is part of verse 8. It said, and I'm just, I'm not trying to again, but it says, 
it, it talks about they shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Yes. And which is the second, second death. The first there death. There is no coming back. Nope. There's no resurrection from that one. From that death. The first that death is. Over. It's done. The first death is when they die in the grave or killed. Yes. The second death will be the eternal death where you are thrown into the lake of fire. Brimstone just means burning rock. That's yes. what brimstone translates to. We look at it as sulfur. That's what we used to, that was the original name of sulfur was brimstone. It smells horrible. It smells like rotten eggs. So you're going to have this fire. burns, it's hot. It's 300, it burns at 385 degrees. That's where it catches fire at. It gets a lot hotter. Verse 23, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. So you got God the Father and God the Son sitting on their golden thrones with their Shekinah glory, their shine coming off of them, and it's playing off of the pearl, it's playing off the gold, it's playing off the jasper, the diamond, it's playing off the ruby, it's playing off the emeralds, it's playing off all these gemstones. This city is literally going to glow and it's going to be very, very bright. We will have no need for the sun nor the moon to shine in it because they are the light. And it's just going to be like in a room of mirrors. It's just going to be when you get into a room of mirror and you light a candle, that room gets extremely bright because the light's reflecting off of all of those surfaces and it's just multiplying the illumination and it's going to get brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. That's why we will have no need of the sun nor the moon because they're the light. They're the light that will light up the city of this 1,500-mile by 1,500 mile, by 1,500 mile. No place in that city will there be shadows. No place in that city will there be darkness. No place in that city will there be cool spots or hot spots. It will be perfect from the bottom to the top and from all sides. Now, years ago, actually at the start of the pandemic, I ordered a bunch of really high-powered LED lights for the house. And I flipped on the light switch, and you could probably see us from space. We we had to glow. I'm telling you, it was bright. Now, some of those LEDs has, you know, went out since then. They don't last near as long as they say they do, but that's okay. That house was lit up. And in some places, those bulbs are still shining, and it's still very bright. They can't hold a light. If you'll, if you'll pardon the expression, they can't hold a candle to how bright this city's going to be. Because God the Father and God the Son is going to, their, their glow, their light is going to reverberate and reflect and, and just spread like wildfire all through this 1500 mile, 1500 mile, 1500 mile city. There will be no need for the sun. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. They will walk in that light. Nations, kings, leaders, presidents, peasants, doctors, lawyers, 
environmentalist. We will all walk in this light, no matter what we do. They are the Lord of the Lords and the King of the Kings. <coughs> and everything else is second nature. It's all below them. They are the top of the pinnacle, if you will, and everything else is below them. We won't have any of these individuals sitting in power saying, well, they're bigger than the law. We won't have any of these individuals that's sitting in, in offices going, well, I'm above the law. I can't get in trouble. There won't be any of this corruption that we see on the world stage today because God will be there and Jesus will be there and there will be no corruption. I've often thought too, and this just a thought, the New Jerusalem is perfectly cute. Yep. There's no no definition for it other than perfection. There is no one spot that anyone will be able to say, look at me, I'm better, nope. bigger than you are. We'll all be on equal territory. Even if we are 50, we're on that 1,500 miles up into the air, we will be equal to the person that's walking on the ground. Mm -hmm. What? There'll be people 1,500 miles up in the air? Well, yes. That's why he's building the city 1,500 miles tall. Up in there. And there's not going to be any falling off that. Nope. And getting hurt by it. Nope. The gates of it shall not be shut at all by day. For there shall be no night there. These gates never close. These right. pearl gates that we just talked about. This one huge pearl gate. Whether it's a single gate or it's a double gate. Those gates will never be closed. Why do we close gates? Why do you lock your doors? You lock your doors to protect yourself and your possessions. The cities had walls and gates, and they would close the gates so that they could protect the inhabitants of the city. What will we have to protect from? There will be no evil. There will be no bad guys. Those gates will never be shut. That also says that we will have 24-hour access to God the Father and God the Son. We will be able to walk into that city at midnight without the use of a flashlight. We will be able to walk into that city at 12 noon, and it will be no brighter than it was at 12 midnight. This this light won't hurt our eyes because we're going we're gonna to be used to it. We're going to enjoy that light. The, the city gates will never close. There will always be access to the city and to God. But who has access? Who gets to walk into the city? We'll see that in just a second. There will always be access to the city and God. The gates will never be shut because there is nothing to protect from. Gates were closed so the enemy could not come in. But in this time of the earth, there will be no longer any enemies. We will all be friends. They have all been destroyed at this time. The bad guys are gone. We really do have peace. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. The nations and the people will bring their worship to the city and to God that lives in the city. We won't be worshiping false gods. We won't be having four or five different major religions. We won't have 52 different denominations. We'll have one religion and that's God. And it won't be a religion. It'll be a relationship. We won't have all of these man-made dogmas and, 
and bylaws that, you know, we couldn't even keep the Ten Commandments. What makes us think we're going to keep the hundred bylaws? True. We call it wallpaper where I used to work. We find a problem and we just put up another procedure. Well, if I didn't follow the first procedure, what makes you think I'm going to follow the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one? I'm not. And that's what we've done over the years. We've made all these laws. We couldn't follow ten simple commandments. Thou shalt not kill. How many murders happens in America these days? Thou shalt not steal. Well, that's why we have our doors locked. Thou shalt not covet. When you get down to it, the covet is really one of the bad ones because it's the coveting that starts first, and then we go and we execute the covetousness. They have all, all of the bad guys have been destroyed. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. The nations and the people will bring the worship. They will come to that city. They will worship. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. If you are a Christian, you're able to go into the city. If you're not a Christian, well, you're in the lake of fire. It don't matter. Sorry. And I, I'm not trying to make jest of it. I'm not trying to make fun of it. Uh, I am very, I, I love to have a good time. I love to laugh and cut up and carry on. Anybody that knows me, anybody that's worked around me, any length of time knows that. But when it comes to the studying of God's word, I'm, I'm pretty serious. The people that couldn't walk into the city, they can't walk into the city because they're rest, they're residing, they're dying, they're tortured in the lake of the fire. Everybody that's on the earth at this time will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life or you're not going to be there. So everybody has equal access. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you look like. I don't care where you're from. I don't care your education. I don't care how much you make. You have access just like everybody else does. If Elon Musk, his name, is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, he will have as equal access as I do. There won't be any separation. If you're a female or you're a male, you can walk into the throne room of God just like everybody else does. If you're a, an African American or if you're a Native American or if you're an American or if you're a Chinese, you have access to God the Father. There won't be any segregation. There won't be any prejudice. There won't be any bigotry. There won't be any of this stuff. And you won't see anybody going into this city looking around going, hmm, wonder what I can steal. Wonder what I can buy that or sell that for. We're not going to have those thoughts. We're going to walk into that city and we're going to be in awe of it, yes. But not one time will anybody that walks into that city go, hey, I'm going to steal the golden censer. I'm going to get the last, I'm going to get the chalice, the holy grail. Guys, the holy grail doesn't exist. Sorry, it doesn't. If you've been chasing it for years, you're chasing a, a, a ghost. You're chasing a shadow. The Holy Grail doesn't exist. He went to the upper room, he and his disciples, and they had dinner. And the next morning, they washed that cup, and they put it back out for the family that owned the house where the upper room was at. There is no Holy Grail. None. True. It doesn't exist. God is our holy grail. Jesus is our holy grail. Chase him. Test him, he says. Test him and see if he's true. Taste of him and see that he is good. 
Next week, we will take back up with Revelation chapter 22. We will be through next week with the book of Revelation. It will be 33 weeks from the time we start it to the time we finish, if nothing happens, and we get to come back next Thursday at 7 p.m. Stay with us. You'll get to hear the last words of the Bible. I appreciate those of you that's been watching faithfully and listening faithfully. I appreciate those that have been sharing this message. It's not because I'm standing here, because guys, trust me, I butchered this study. But this is what God laid on my heart, and this is what I've given to you. No, it didn't answer any of your questions. Probably gave you more questions. But that's okay. Keep looking and keep asking God to open your eyes and enlightening your eyes of understanding, and you will get what you need out of the Word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again for allowing us this opportunity, Lord. We ask that you'll move and that you'll touch, Lord, here this evening, Lord, on each and every one that's watched. Lord, that you'll bless those that will watch into the future, Lord, no matter how far into the future. God, I ask that you will take this study, Lord, as far as you need it to go, as far as you want it to go, wherever that may be in the world, Lord, that whoever needs to hear your word, Lord, that you'll take this study and let it be, Lord, their light. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Next week, last chapter.